How's everyone today? Happy 4th of July weekend. Hey, we are blessed to be in this country. Amen? Beyond belief, we, we have no idea how good we have it. And so it's a good season, a good time to be thankful, grateful. Um, and God is on the move, by the way. Amen? God is doing great things. We're excited about that. And uh, lots of stuff on the calendar. Please grab a bulletin. Uh, they're in the seat backs in front of you. If you're in the front seat or the back seat, you got to find a, or especially in the front seat, you got to reach behind you. Um, don't be grabbing anyone's leg or anything in the process. It wouldn't be good. But uh, get a bulletin. A lot of stuff going on. Very excited about uh, Sarah and David Wright's ordination. Uh, that'll be a great time to honor them, come out and honor them. Uh, that's going to be awesome. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 32. Um, we've been in the middle of a series called Encounter. And in this series, it's our heart to prepare hearts to encounter the living God. And encounters can come in many different ways. I mean, you could hear his voice. His word could just, you know, explode off the pages and just speak directly to you, directly to your heart. Um, someone could minister to you prophetically or give you a word, word of knowledge. Uh, you know, it could happen in many different ways. God could work through you to touch somebody else's life. And uh, we are just believing for more encounters. Amen? Because I believe the church has settled a little bit. And, you know, we can look back on the encounters of the past, but God, last time I knew and looked, he's a living God. He's alive. You know, uh, if you were to reflect and only reflect on the past in your marriage, how far would that, how, how good would that be? You know, I remember when, or it used to be great when, but hey, the marriage is still active and alive, so you can create new memories today. Amen. And so that's the way we're viewing this whole series as we are going after God. We're preparing our hearts to experience God afresh and anew again. I mean, we, we need fresh encounters with the living God. The church needs fresh encounters with the living God. And he wants to move in our lives and through our lives. He wants to reveal new dimensions of who he is to us and new dimensions of who he is through you to other people. So uh, we've talked up to this point about passion. What are the things that could help prepare our hearts for a fresh encounter with God? I think one is passion, like we're hungry for the things of God. When, when we're passionate about something, when our hearts are excited and, uh, you know, when we're, we're more, our hearts are stirred for the more of God, I, I think that gets his attention. And we can look through the scriptures and see how the, the, the people of old had passion for God. It said of Jesus, zeal for my house consumes me. And Jesus was passionate. He exemplified passion. We've also talked um, a little bit about pursuit. You know, God desires to be pursued. He said, seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So today I want to talk about uh, a new topic and it's called surrender. Say that word, surrender. Yeah, sometimes sometimes we don't like we don't like that word too much because it costs us something. This is what the dictionary says about the word surrender. 
Surrender is defined as to yield to the power or control of another. To yield to the power or control of another. And in this case, specifically, we're talking about God. I heard uh, a cute little story about, um, about these two dogs. And there was this, this one dog that was on his property. He was guarding his property, this small little yipping dog, you know. And all of a sudden, this big, big dog approached. And this small dog is barking like crazy, going nuts. And, and the big dog kept coming and, and came onto the small dog's property. Well, um, you know, the, the small dog was trying to intimidate the big dog. So the small dog was barking. And then all of a sudden, he charged the big dog. And without flinching, the big dog just looked at him. And before you knew it, the little dog was on his back exposing his neck in surrender because he realized that he wasn't going to do anything to that to that big dog he realized that uh there's 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 nothing he could do he was just too small and and insignificant he could be loud but it wasn't going to change anything about that big dog uh being on his property and the reality is he knew who the big dog was right he he knew who the big dog was and uh because of that he surrendered And in reality, we need to know who the big dog is. When we talk about surrender in relation to God, we we need to know uh, who the big dog is. We need to realize that uh, it's time, it's a good thing to surrender our lives to him. And, And as I look through the scriptures, I see tremendous things happen when people surrender to God. I mean, it's, it's amazing. In fact, I would go, I would go far, as far as saying transformation in our lives takes place after surrender. There's something good that happens when we surrender our ways, our will, our flesh to the things of God. So I want to talk to you about that today. In Genesis chapter 32, we come across a guy named Jacob. And I love the story about Jacob. Jacob is an interesting fellow. He, he had... There's so much written about him, so much about his life that is documented. But there's just one small encounter that I want to talk to you about uh, today. And we come in the middle of this this situation where Jacob is facing a major crisis in life. He's facing a crisis. And the crisis is that his brother Esau is on the way with 400 men. And... In his mind, death is imminent, attack on his family, attack on his possessions, attack on himself. He's just in trouble. And the reason he thinks this way is because Esau wants to kill him. Uh, Esau, he, he, done, he, he's, he had done Esau wrong in the past. In fact, if you read a little bit about Jacob's life, Jacob was always in the place of trying to uh, manipulate and use people and use God to his advantage. And even from the womb, even as, a, as an infant, we see this, this uh, behavior. He was one of uh, a twin, his brother Esau. Jacob and Esau are twins. And Esau came out of the womb first, but the Bible tells us that Jacob was grasping his heel on the way out. And I find that very interesting. He was grasping Esau's heel. And I don't, I don't know what the significance of, of it is. I, I interpret it as meaning, hey, 
you shouldn't come out first. I need to come out first, you know. Uh, but all through Jacob's life, he's, he's manipulating, controlling. And we're going we're gonna to look at a story where uh, Jacob encounters God. And up to this point, he had had these many encounters with God. And, uh, you know, God, God began to show him this ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And, and uh, God did miraculous things in his life and blessed him beyond belief. But for some reason, they didn't have an impact, an effect, the kind of effect that God wanted uh, these encounters to have on Jacob's life. Because you see continually throughout the scriptures up to this point, that he is, is referring to the God of his grandfather, Abraham, the God of his father, Isaac, and he stops there. He never really called the Lord his God. And that goes to show me that we can have encounters with God, and that may not change our hearts, right? But he had this, this encounter that we're going to look at that changed everything for him and about him, and it's amazing. And so... How does this apply to our lives? What does this look like? And, and so I want to I talk about what happens when we turn over control. Turn over control to God. What happens when we finally say, you know, I can't do this anymore. This is where Jacob's at. The Bible tells us he's all alone. And many times in the presence of God, good things happen when we're all alone. And the Bible tells us that throughout his life, uh, he cheated his brother. He cheated his brother out of his blessing, out of his birthright. He deceived his father. He manipulated. Uh, he took advantage of people. And so he is on the run. And it's interesting uh, because as he's traveling back to his home country, where the land of his father, this is what uh, God had told him to do. I want you to travel back. This is after he spent 20 years serving his uncle, uh, married two wives, had began to have children. He's traveling back. He's moving all his cattle. He's rich. He's moving all his cattle, all his family, everything he owns. He finds himself in this crisis. And crises have a way of getting our attention before God. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, sometimes we can go into cruise control in our relationship with God. Sometimes it's just like, you know, we take things for granted. But some, uh, some other times when we hit a crisis, it, it turns us to God and forces us to cry out to him. And you may, you may be in one now. Jacob's in one. He's crying out to God. He's like, God, I, I need you to rescue me. My brother's coming with 400 men, and he's going to kill me. And so he, he turns to God, and, you know, I just can't help but think. I, I talk to a lot of people here in our church and people outside the church, and the reality is that uh, it, it's time for a fresh encounter with God. You know, I, I hear about people's health issues and financial issues and marriage issues and relational issues and and maybe it gets more a little bit more personal. Maybe uh, you're struggling with with anxiety or fear or doubt or you know maybe maybe it's an addiction problem that you're having. You know it could be something related to drugs or pornography or alcohol or whatever. But you, you know if you're really going to be honest with yourself and with others, you're in the middle of a crisis because if God doesn't intervene, you're in trouble. 
it's over, over for you. Or things are just going to continue to uh, be that slippery slope and, and it's going to be a struggle for you. You need God to intervene. And so today we're going to look at Jacob's encounter with God to discover that things get better. They really do when we're willing to surrender. I want to start off in uh, Genesis chapter 32 and look at um, uh, verse 24. We're going to look at 24 to 26. We'll we'll piece apart this story and try and make some semblance of it. But um, it's an amazing thing that God does for Jacob. So Genesis 32, verse 24, it says this. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, that just seems so odd. I mean, there's no backdrop for this. Just out of the blue, this guy starts wrestling with him. Doesn't that seem weird to you? And so, I mean, he had sent his family across the river, and and he's he's struggling because because of fear, because of, because of issues in his life. And all of a sudden, this man begins to wrestle with him. And in my studies, I've, I began to see that the wrestling was sort of an ancient form of what we would now view like martial arts or something like that. Uh, instead of martial arts it was in that day, it was more like wrestling. And some scholars have ter- turned this into like an allegory or... Uh, an, an analogy, but really, I believe the scripture is very clear. He literally wrestled with a man. It's not a it's not a figure or a figment uh, of our imagination. It's it's a literal wrestling that Jacob is doing. And you got to imagine it's quite dark. I mean, he may have had a fire lit. He probably didn't know who this man was, where he came from, what was going on, why. Why are you wrestling with me? Why are you challenging me? We don't get any, any uh, input from any, any uh, conversation that took place. Just out of the blue, he's wrestling with what the Bible says is a man. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not over- overpower him, that is Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So this is, this is going on. I mean, we see in verse 24 that they wrestled till daybreak. Now, I don't know if you've ever wrestled before. But I know wrestling is physically exhausting. You could wrestle for two or three minutes and be gasping for breath. And these two wrestled till daybreak. I don't know when they started, but it had to be several hours of wrestling. And so, so they're wrestling, and, uh, and then it's just going on and on and on. There's no progress. There's no one really winning the match until this man touches Jacob's hip. And it says it's wrenched, which I, I just interpret as being it's, uh, it's popped out of socket. And so... When you think about wrestling, wrestling is a sport about control, right? If you're able to control your opponent, you're able to win. But when you have a dislocated hip, your ability to create leverage, your ability to uh, uh, flex and, and flip and, and do all these kinds of moves in wrestling is, is severely uh, diminished, is it not? Right? Because you, 
you, you, don't have, you don't have the strength anymore in this hip. I mean, it's probably extreme pain in the midst of this. It, it says that the man touched his hip. Then the man said in verse 26, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not go unless you bless me. Somewhere in this process, Jacob had to determine that this was not simply a man. He had to determine that this this individual that he's wrestling with had something to give him. Right? And we're going to read on. You're going to see that this this uh, this individual that's wrestling with Jacob was referred to as an angel and was referred to by Jacob as God himself. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, and so many scholars believe that this was the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that literally confronted Jacob that evening. And so Jacob goes from uh, prevailing and sort of holding his own against this this individual to having a, a dislocated hip to now he's just simply clinging because the, the man says, let me go. And Jacob says, I am not letting you go. He's not wrestling anymore. He's just holding on. I am not letting you go until you bless me. And, and what I want us to see out of this little section in this story is this. We, when we turn over control, when we turn over control to God, you'll get a new strength. You'll get a new strength. Um, and, and so Jacob is wrestling with God. I want you to see some very important points from this, this small section, that, that God was the aggressor. God was the initiator. God was the one who engaged Jacob. God was the one who came after him. Jacob was in a defensive posture, just defending himself, refusing to give up. He he, uh, he's just wrestling this man, probably not even knowing what the reason for the wrestling match uh, is. But Jacob was wrestling with God not to get something from God. God was wrestling with Jacob to, to bring him to the end of himself. Because all Jacob's life, it was about him. It was about his way. It was about how he could get stuff from people. It was about controlling and manipulating people. Now, now stick with me. This is, this is so powerful. God wanted to reveal something to Jacob. And the fact that Jacob wrestled all night says a lot about him. He had a lot of himself in him. You know, some things had to die. Some things had to be let go. And as I said, wrestling is, is all about control. There's, for years in my home, as we were leading the youth and even since, even up to a couple weeks ago, in my living room, the boys who were over, whatever number were there, they would slide the, the coffee table out of the way and they would wrestle right in my living room. I mean, to the point where we had to move things out of the way to not get broken and destroyed. No one, fortunately, no one got broken in that process, but there was a lot of surrender. I was going to call my message tap out because some of us need to, to tap out as it relates to our control in our relationship to God. I also thought about calling my message uncle because when you say uncle, that means you give, right? And so I watched many matches sometimes when the one person started 
started gaining an advantage. Then all, all of a sudden, other people would pile on, and there would be uh, mass chaos and wrestling going on. But there would always seem to be a winner. There would always seem to be someone surrendering. And so I want us to I want us to focus on what it would take to surrender to a new level uh, in our lives to God. Because let's just let's just step back from this encounter Jacob has with this this angel, this man, God Himself. I mean, we all know that God could have won instantly, right? I, I mean, God is God. Is there anything too difficult for Him? Is Jacob too difficult for Him to win in wrestling? Absolutely not. And, and so there's a, there's a lesson to be learned here that God ultimately has to let us come to the end of ourselves, to the end of us relying on ourselves, our strength, our way, our abilities, before he steps in or before he shows us that it's about him, that we can rely on his strength. Listen to me. When you turn over control to God, you will get a new strength. You will get a new strength, a strength that is far greater than yours, far greater than your abilities. And, and I want to I share something quite personal with you. Um, years ago, I had a wrestling match like this with God, not in a literal sense. It was a controlled sense. And uh, for a long, long time when we started leading the church, there were some things that I tried to control. There were some things that I did not want to happen in my services. And if you're new to this church, we're charismatic, we're Pentecostal, we believe in, in the gifts, we believe in the expression of the gifts. But I will tell you that there are times that those gifts can get a little bit weird. Right? Would anyone agree with me? And so there were times that I, I'm like, no, nah, this is not happening because I'm thinking, I'm going to build this church, and, and, and weird people are not going to drive normal people out. People who have all this craziness going on are not going to drive people out who are coming and looking for God and needing God. I wanna, I'm going to build this church. This church is going to grow, and we're going to connect to new people. And you can hear a sense of control in that, can't you? Well, God, God confronted me. God confronted me about this. And I remember I was in Pennsylvania. I was at a conference. And I, I remember, uh, I don't even remember exactly what God said to me, but I remember being broken. I remember repenting before God and saying, God, I am so sorry. First of all, this is not my church. You know, this is not my church. This is, this is his church. He will build his church, right? And so, in fact, I was trying to do something that he had committed to do, and I think he could do something like, something like that a lot better than I can. And I just surrendered. I said, God, you know what? I am so sorry if I've grieved you in any way. If, if I've held back a move, I'm so hungry for you to move in our midst. And I was trying to control something that God was trying to do, and I was boxing God in. And, and he brought me to a place of complete brokenness. I mean, I was... I was very emotionally moved. I was very sorrowful at the realization. And God, over, over time, will speak to us and reveal. He didn't beat me up. I mean, he didn't, he didn't give me cancer. You know, some people think God punishes us by making us sick. He doesn't punish us by making He's a loving father. 
He wants to speak to us. He wants us to, he wants us to um, respond to him. And he wants to guide us and direct us. And there's discipline in the process. But he is good, good God. And so, um, you know, I've changed that. I, I just, I, I say, you know, many times when I remember, I say, God, this is your church. These are your people. I, on Sunday mornings, my prayer, These are, this is your church. These are your people. And I invite you to have your way and do what you want to do. You know, I come ready. I come with, I come with a, a message ready to go. But he, if he wants to change that, that's, that's up to him. I surrendered control. I, I no longer, you know, if God's doing it, I want to ride the wave. You know, I, I want to hear from him. I want to I go where he's going. I want to do what he's doing because he could do it better than me. Right? And, and so uh, he brought me to this place, this, this wrestling match, because it wasn't just a one-time thing. You know, I, I realized what I was doing over time. And... Um, and as he spoke to me, I just said, it's time to surrender. I cannot do this anymore. It's, I knew I was grieving him. I knew I was blocking a fresh move of God in this process. And so I just let him be God, and, and he's being God. And I'm, I'm happy about that. Amen? So, so God's allowing this struggle all night long because it had to come to the end of Jacob, that Jacob's own way of doing things, his strength, his control, his ability to do uh, uh, to, to do what he was used to had to come to an end. And this, this, this hip is dislocated. And, and I, I got this statement I want to read to you. It says this. It says, the way to have power with God is to be broken by God. Your control being broken so that God can be in control. We need to surrender our ways to God. I know God's speaking to people today because every one of us have things that we can surrender to God. He wants to take us from glory to glory and place to place. And how does that happen? It happens by saying like John the Baptist said, you know what, I must decrease. He must increase. Right? More of you, less of me. God, have your way in my life. And so Jacob is in this process of discovering, wow, you know, uh, even though I was holding my own, now I'm done. There's nothing I can do. And you may ask the question, how does that, you know, if I'm giving up control to God, looking at this story, how, does, how do I get a new strength? How did Jacob get a new strength? He was broken. He was broken before God. And the reality is this, Jacob had been broken by God. And, and you know what? His limp was a mark of, mark of his strength, not his weakness. Because he learned from that point on, I've got to trust God. I've got to trust God. This is not about me. There's this powerful passage in, in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, we see this reference to strength that says this, Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Listen to me. This is a, this is a supernatural strength. This is something that Jacob, who was different from that point forward, got when he wrestled with God. In his, his own physical body was broken, but his trust, his reliance on God was a fresh and a new. He got a new 
strength. That verse goes on to say they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Did you ever look up? I was looking up something about eagles yesterday. And uh, eagles are amazing because they don't use a lot of their strength. There was this study of this one eagle I read. I was I was researching, and this one eagle did two minutes of flapping for one hour of flying. That's relying on some, some other strength, isn't it? Two minutes of flapping. They get into these, I think they're called these, these, uh, these hydro currents or this, this, uh, these warm wind waves at a certain level, and, and, and all they do is soar. They're, they're not relying on their own strength. They're just, they're just cruising. Two minutes. I mean, even if that was wrong by ten minutes, that's still crazy. But this study, they said this one eagle did two minutes of flapping for one hour of flying. I mean, if we began to rely on the strength of the Lord in that way, we began to say, God, you know what? I, I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to to control things. I've tried to manipulate things, and it has not worked. I want to I want to lean on you, God. You are strong. You are able to lead me and show me the way. And so Jacob's limp was not a mark of weakness, but a mark of strength because he could no longer rely on his own physical strength. He had to rely on the strength of the Lord. And we'll see what happens in just a few moments. So number one, you'll get a new strength. Number two, let's read uh, verses 27 to 29. We'll see that Jacob gets a new identity. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You'll get a new identity. Actually, you won't get a new identity. You'll get the one that God had always purposed for you to have. It's just that we messed it up. And trying to create our own identity, trying to do our own thing, right? You'll get the one that God always purposed for you to have. Uh, Jacob had gone his entire life manipulating everybody that crossed his path and trying to get things done his way, controlling people. And we see in this passage that the, that the man, the angel, God, Asks him a question. And there's something important we need need to know about questions from God. You know when you're asked a question from God, it's not because God wants an answer from you. Because he already knows the answer. He wants you to discover the answer. We see this time and time again in scripture. When God asks a question, he he wants the person he's asking the question to, to discover the answer to the question. And as Jacob begins to answer the question, I, I, can, I can envision this discovery overtaking him. That the answer is, I am Jacob. And if you know anything about biblical names, biblical names have, in, in, they have massive meaning. They, they have meaning that defines your character. It's sort of like your brand, your label. It's who you are. The name Jacob carries this meaning of deceiver, 
and manipulated. And he says, I am a deceiver and manipulator. What's your name? I'm a deceiver and manipulator. Aren't you glad names don't have such powerful meanings anymore? I mean, could you imagine walking up to somebody and say, hey, what's your name? My name's Greedy. What's your name? Oh, my name's Lustful. My name's Manipulator or Controller or Abuser. I, I mean, I'm grateful that our names don't carry our greatest struggle in life. But that's what, that's what Jacob was experiencing. He came to the place of discovering this is really who I am. He, he discovered and really had to confess before God that, um, that this is me. And I think I get the sense that in, in this question that God is saying to him, you know what, the real struggle you're facing is not Esau, the one you're afraid of losing your life over. The real struggle before you is you, Jacob. The real struggle that is, is, is your challenge in life is you. you. You need to surrender and get out of the way because you just keep trying to control everything and everybody. And the beauty of it is this, that God gave him a new name, Israel. First time the word Israel is in the Bible is right here, chapter 32 of Genesis. And that word means prince with God. Now, this is so stinking powerful. It, it means prince with God. And let me tell you something, that a name almost always, a new name almost always symbolizes a new beginning in the Bible. You think about it in our culture today. Many times when a child is adopted from, a new, from another nation, they're given a new name symbolizing a new beginning. When people get married, they're given a new name symbolizing a new beginning. And in this case, Jacob becomes Israel. And God is saying to him, you know what? You, you're a prince. Beneath all your hang-ups, beneath all your deception, beneath all your junk and the mess in your life, I want you to know that you're a prince. I want you to know who you really are. And I want you to know that you can be who I've made you to be. You can discover that there, you, you can have a new identity. You know, and that could be very powerful for some of us in this room because in reality, inside every Jacob is an Israel waiting to be renamed. You may look at yourself as someone insignificant, someone who's broken, someone whose life has been a mess, someone who's, who's, who's just, just messed things up, made poor choices, and you're sitting here, and you're broken inside, and you've got a great smile on the outside, but inside there's, there's just turmoil, there's, 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 there's uh, a mess and brokenness. And God is saying, listen to me, you are a prince. You are a princess. I don't care what your name is. I don't care who you are or what your history is. You are a prince. You're my princess. Listen to me, this can be so freeing for some of us. What we see ourselves as is not who God sees us as. And we get locked into our past and our mistakes and, and the decisions we've made. And, and we view our lives and our identity and our value based upon our past 
when God is saying, no, look at your future. Look at who I'm calling you to be. Look who I've made you, made a way for you to become. If you could just see it, it would change everything. And so for Jacob in this encounter, he got a new strength. He got a new identity. It changed everything about him. In John 1.42, we see Jesus doing something very similar. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, brings Simon at that point to Jesus. And it says this. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. This is Peter or Simon at the time. And said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now that on the surface doesn't seem to be a big deal. But at the time, his name meant, uh, Simon meant listener or hearer, one who hears. And Jesus said to him, no, you are a rock. I'm going to build my church on people like you. And look at, look at how it escalated or elevated Peter's life to become this great apostle in the kingdom of God. And I wonder if we really would seek after an encounter with God, if we would run into the living God ourselves, what we, what we would discover about who God calls us. If we really dove into the scriptures, if we really just tore apart the scriptures and began to discover the true riches of how he sees us, we wouldn't be that old stuff. We wouldn't be that old mess. We would be a simpler person. Listen to me, there's greatness for people who call upon God. And so we need a fresh encounter. I don't know how you, when you looked in the mirror, what you saw today. I don't know how uh, you feel about yourself. But listen to me, transformation happens on the other side of surrender. God wants to change how we feel about ourselves. Because it, it's important to him. Because when we see ourselves as he does, then we can see others as he does. And we can help rescue them from their mess and their stuff. You see, the enemy's a big fat liar. He wants to keep us caught in this place where and it's just it's just lies. He wants to keep us caught in this place where we're not important. We're not significant. We don't have value. We don't matter. No one cares. God doesn't love us. God's turned his back on us. Maybe it's God punishing us. No, 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 a thousand times no. God is good, and he wants you to discover truly who you are. He's an amazing, amazing God. Check out this, la this verse. This is the last uh, verse I'll share in this point. Genesis 30, verse 33, verse 20. It says, there he, meaning Israel, formerly Jacob, set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel which means God of Israel. This is the first time where Israel, formerly Jacob, acknowledges it's not just the God of my grandfather, it's not just the God of my father, it became the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This encounter changed everything for Jacob. And he began to call him his God. His God. So we'll walk with a new strength. We'll, we'll, we'll receive a new strength when we begin to surrender to God. We'll get a new strength. We'll get a new identity. And here's the last thought that I'll share with you as I prepare to close. 
but walk in a new level of faith. We need to hear this. But walk in a new level of favor. Verse 29 of Genesis 32 says this. It said, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, that's the man, the angel of God. He replied, why do you ask my name? Now, here's the key words that I just want you to grab hold of. Then he blessed him there. Then he blessed him there. Jacob received the blessing. Jacob got blessed. He had received the blessing by deception from his brother. He had received the blessing from his father by deceiving his father into thinking it was Esau being blessed. But now he receives the blessing from God Almighty. It's legitimate. It's it's real. It's it's not deception. He, He received a new strength to receive from God all that God had for him. The passage goes on to say, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now, he, other than Moses in the Old Testament, is the only other person that is spoken of of seeing God, encountering God face to face. Here's this guy. He's a mess, you know, but an encounter changed everything. This is what I'm saying to you. Listen, we need to go after the face of God. God wants to meet with us. God wants to reveal himself to us. God wants to show himself strong in our lives. Whether we're in crisis or outside of crisis, God is good, and he wants his goodness to be known in our lives. So it's because, he says, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his pain. He was limping. He had been broken, and for the rest of his life, he limped. He he limped. He limped. Um, So uh, what I want you to see is here, Jacob began the night, and his greatest need at that moment, if you were to interview him before uh, this encounter, his greatest need was to survive this encounter with Esau. His greatest need was to escape the wrath of his brother Esau. And that was his fear. That was his concern. He did all these things. He divided his family. He sent, he sent waves of his family and his flock, and he sent gifts, and he's doing all this stuff to hopefully appease his brother so his brother wouldn't kill him. But by the morning, Jacob's greatest need was to receive the blessing of God's promise in his life, and he would not let go until he received it. And so uh, Jacob's life now, from this point forward, is not marked by physical strength, but it's marked by the strength of trusting in God. It's marked by encountering God. Listen to me. You know, it's one thing to know about God as a healer, but when you get healed by God, there's this new confidence, there's this new faith, there's this new experience that you could speak authoritatively in. When you're broke, you know, it's one thing to know God as a a provider. But when you're broke and all of a sudden some supernatural supply comes your way and gets you out of that brokenness, brokenness, you know God as a provider at a new level. Listen to me. We need encounters with God. We've got to get past 
just knowing superficially about this God out there who's supposedly a healer, who's supposedly good, who supposedly meets our needs, who supposedly cares about every little detail of our lives. It's time to encounter him. He's living, he's alive, and he wants to run dead smack into us so that we encounter who he is, encounter his love and his goodness. Now listen, I want to close with a few thoughts. Here's one last verse. And I just want to say this. I know this for a fact. Deep down inside, every one of us in this room wants to walk in the blessing. Every one of us in this room wants to discover, wants to know how good God really is. And Jacob, Jacob discovered that. Ephesians 1.3, this is so important. As I close, Ephesians 1.3 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You see, listen to me. We don't have to come to God for the blessings. It says that the blessings are already ours. Do you see that? Praise him because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with a couple spiritual blessings in Christ. No. With one? No. It says, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why is it so important for me to, for you to have an encounter with God? Because the blessings have already been made available to you. You don't have to sing. You don't have to wrestle. You don't have to fight. You just have to discover and step into what is already yours. You have to step into what is already yours. God has made these things, the goodness of God, and everything you will ever need to be successful in this kingdom walk is already yours. You just have to apprehend it. You have to, you have to receive it. You have to believe it, and you have to step into it. God has made it available to you. He's made it available to you. And so for the rest of our lives, it's a life of discovery and stepping into things by faith. Encountering God. Having him give us a fresh revelation of what he's done for us. Who's he call, who he called us to be. Uh, walking into new strength. God is so amazing. And we just, uh, it breaks my heart to see people caught in emotions and, and not really even trying to discover his goodness. So many times when I meet with people, it's about the same things. And, and you know, it's about the same things that they've been dealing with forever. And all they have to do is, is say, God, I, I don't have any strength to get over this. I don't have any strength to win at this fight. And then, and then let him take over. He wants to move in your life. Would you stand to your feet as I close? I cannot adequately describe the goodness of God to you. I could, we could spend an eternity trying to articulate and help uh, understand. It comes by revelation. Revelation comes by time in the presence of God. And so my challenge to each and every one of us in this room today is that God is inviting us to a closer walk. God is inviting us to a new experience, a new discovery of his goodness. It doesn't make us bad people that we didn't discover that or get that revelation. But it's an opportunity to meet him all over again. It's an opportunity to experience him all over again. 
And maybe you're here today, and maybe your heart's stirred. I, I just pray that whatever hunger that you have inside of you, God would meet, God would satisfy. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I've been talking about surrender today, and the first step is saying, God, I give. I, I'm tapping out. I, I give up. I, I, need, I need you in my life. I need a Savior. I cannot do this on my own. If that's you, we'll have the ministry team up here that would love to talk to you. I would personally love to talk to you and perhaps answer any questions you may have. Uh, but for the rest of us who, who call upon, who have called upon the Lord as our Savior, um, find the blessing in that. In crisis, out of crisis, God has a great answer for us today. Would you just put your hands, take a second and posture to do this. I just feel like God just wants to just... And I just want to reveal just a new level of blessing in our lives. And so, Father, today, God, we come, God, we're just, we're hungry, we're desperate for a, a new layer, a new dimension of who you are. I pray that you stir hearts, that passion would arise, God, that uh, they would set their hearts and their minds to pursue you, God. And anything that's in our lives that is blocking you from a fresh encounter in our lives, God, I pray that you'd reveal it that you'd help us overcome it, God, and we would walk in relationship closer to you. I give you all the praise. I bless your people today. May it be a great Sunday, a great 4th of July weekend, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you.